She doesn't bite you a lot, does she? Only when we're playing, otherwise. Yeah. Or when she really wants attention, mm. and I'm just ignoring her. <laughs> then she'll bite my and fucking she'll nibble knee. At you. Yeah. <clears throat> Your knee? She'll she'll climb up, or okay. like put her paws up, and uh -huh. then bite my knee. Okay. Yeah. I wonder why the knee. It seems like a hard, hard piece to bite. Uh, that's what I thought, yeah. But she likes the knee. She goes for the knee, the ankle, the the calf, even, and I got a big calf on me. Yeah, you. She's do. got a small mouth. You do, for a man, you do have very large calves. What does that mean? I mean, do uh, women usually have large calves? <laughs> Nobody has large calves. Oh, okay, okay. Just you and uh, Jordan, I Just, guess. <laughs> calf brothers. I like when I have shorts on. I'm looking in that mirror. It's just a straight line from the knee to the ankle. Hey, that's not so bad. I, I I don't know. I tried to work on my calves when I was working out, and they just didn't grow. Well, you would just end up looking like that kid that was in there all the time doing calf raises only. True. So true. you just got to be careful about that. I just I, I think Norwegians are genetically calf weak. That could you take, be. You take out their calves, you kill them instantly. Barrel chested, but calf weak, possibly. Top heavy. Yeah. How do you end up that way genetically over time? Like how? What were the Norwegians doing where they evolved into top-heavy people? Swinging hammers, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I guess they were either mining or uh, 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 building weapons for Thor or something. I said my ultimate goal in life is to move back there and start a walrus ranch. Mm. I think that'd be kind is of Is there an actual business for that? Probably not. I don't know if there's that many pe <laughs> people that need walruses on an industrial ranching scale i just want ashley to teach me how to ride a horse and then i'm gonna corral the walruses at night put a nice little feed trough for them do you think that a wall you could ride a walrus using the same skills of, of horse riding is that why you wanted to teach you to ride a horse no 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 so i can ride a horse and you like go in a circle oh you the, round they're them the cows up. Yes. yeah or the sheep or whatever yeah yeah and you just let them waddle into the barn yeah. and then yeah yeah Oh, I've done it on Red Dead Redemption. Don't don't you think I haven't? Can you ride a walrus on that game? I think so. If you buy, if you, if, well, my uncle works at Nintendo, and he told me if you get all the stars in Super Mario, mm. you can ride a walrus in Red Dead Redemption. Okay. So, right. hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. <laughs> Who knows what it'll be about? Certainly not me. Hmm. My name is Adam. Sitting across from me, as ever, is young Cody. Hello. Hello, Adam. Nice to see you. How was uh, your week? Uh, it was good. Went by in a blur. Uh, I was very busy. 
surprisingly. But uh, I survived the inclement weather, which is good. Oh yeah, we had a little bit. Of, we had a little spot of uh, slushy snow, didn't we? Well, they made it sound like the apocalypse, but it surprisingly wasn't that bad. No, it never is. Today was slippery. Today, Today was is slippery. slippery. Last night, also a little bit slippery. Oh, were, on you, the were you driving out yeah. last night? Okay, yeah. Yeah, It's. Uh, I was a little shocked when I got out of my car today, and I'm slipping and sliding Ooh. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, when I was going to work Friday, I got up, like, real early to make sure I left early, so yeah. I made it on time, and then I'm like... Oh, this took me the exact same amount of time to get here. Whoops. So didn't I just, need to do that. <laughs> I just sat in the parking lot. Hey, vape it up. Yeah, basically. It's uh but yeah, it's 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 unknown. It's you never know. It hits uh thirty degrees and then you're you got ice everywhere. Yep. That's that's just how she goes. It's always wet and then it'll freeze. Uh, but we've had a good winter. Lucky. So winter. far, yes. So far, yes. Now, knock on wood, there's none around here to knock on, but do so because we are still in January, and winter doesn't end until April. This has been the warmest January I can ever remember. Yeah, my face has not hurt once Mm. walking outside yet. It's never even went negative yet, has it? Mm -mm. I really don't think it has. Usually it's like fucking negative 10 right now. And I thought that this warm weather would lead to more snow because that's usually how that mm. works. Warm fronts hit cold fronts and lead to devastating snowfall, <laughs> but that just doesn't happen. Look at you. You're an old Sven over there. I'm an old Sven Sundard I, for I, Channel 11 News. I learned he quit. Yeah, I heard that too. Oh, that's so sad. I liked him. I think he's back up in Duluth. Duluth, huh? Mm-hmm. That's okay. where he's from. Oh, okay. Mm. Didn't know they allowed Swedish people up there. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I, a learned, lot of them. You learn something new every day. They allow a lot of them. There. I was wondering what that loud, like wood clogging noise was, but now I get it. A lot of Swedes, the Swedes. up there. They're just clogging around. A lot of cults too. A lot of cults. Uh, a lot of uh, <laughs> midsummer cults up there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. That'll happen. Yeah. A lot of Swedes dressed in white gowns just dancing. Well, they they're doing the right thing. Right. Once they hit seventy, <laughs> get them, throw them <laughs> off the rock. <laughs> There is some big hills there, so I suppose they could do that. Fuck yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, there is. Don't try and drive up uphill there in the winter, that's for sure. No, that's a nightmare. Those but- are like, that's the closest we can get to mountains in a city is like Duluth. <laughs> Duluth, Those yeah. hills are insanity. I know. You're always driving uphill. I hate, it's like fucking San Francisco where you're just always driving up or down hills. I can't, I don't know if it would be better to have a manual transmission or not, but I do know that that sounds like a nightmare. Probably be better to just not be driving on that in general, to True. be honest with you. Move to flatland. Right. It's better. Right. It's, All right, Cody, dangerous. why don't you fucking take it away with this week's episode? I'm excited that I have absolutely no idea what we're talking about. All right. Well, I'll just jump right into this bad boy. This week, we will be talking about an individual thought to be the last of his kind, the type of criminal that is all but extinct at this point. The type of criminal we are referring to is a pirate. Yes, Hell I yeah. fucking love pirates. <laughs> is this our first pirate? Uh, Yeah, because I did a smuggler. I did the yeah. Prince of Smugglers, but as we know, smugglers and pilot, pirates, although sometimes they cross the line, they are generally very different skill sets. I don't know. Um, this guy may, if we believe what he says, he might have the highest body count we've Hell ever yeah. had on this show. So, Oh, my uh... gosh. This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> Remind me of your old roommate. Always wanted a pirate. And we always. Found a pirate. Max always wanted a pirate. <laughs> 
Now, he's a pirate in the most traditional sense, where the sole purpose in this individual's life seems to be to loot, pillage, and murder. Mm. Additionally, according to the author of the book Pirate by Harold Schechter, one of our favorites. Oh, yeah. One of the main reasons he could be considered one of the last pirates in American history is because crime was moving more inland. Makes sense. In the form of outlaws, Wild West cowboys, and eventually organized crime gangsters, right? So it kind of makes sense. Absolutely. But before we get into this man's confession in regards to his alleged life as a pirate, let's talk about the atmosphere of the time period and the crime that will eventually make him infamous. Oddly enough, what will start the series of events that will lead to the man's capture was the culinary sensation that was sweeping the East Coast in the 1800s. That was the discovery of oysters. Oh, was that so, <laughs> was that new at that time? Like it, discovering how to cook them right and eat them right? It sound, we're going to learn here. They find it. And they are obsessed with it because they have easy access to it. Absolutely, yeah, it's everywhere. Of the harbor. Yeah, it's everywhere in the harbor. So, Here, and at this time, industrial hasn't quite ruined all of the water yet. So I'm sure it's still pretty, <laughs> pretty edible. <laughs> oh, they, they ruin it themselves. We'll learn. Here's what. Uh, here's what I'm thinking about. If they figured out. You know, because, like, brisket used to be so cheap because nobody fucking wanted it. It was like stew meat, if anything. Absolutely. And, I mean, it's recent that brisket has jumped in price because people figured out low and slow, cook that shit, it'll be the tenderest shit of all time. So maybe that's what happened with these oysters. Maybe that's why they're so goddamn expensive now. Well, it's hard to say because any sort of seafood here... Is very expensive, yeah. but I don't know if that's Yeah, because we're in the middle of the fucking <laughs> yeah. continent. But even brisket's expensive here, so yeah, it's like everywhere. you can't, you it's can't win. It's expensive everywhere. Yeah. Is that the most expensive piece of meat? No, no, no. But it. I'm telling you, before people figured out how to cook it at home, it was like $2 a pound or something. Wow. Like something so cheap. Well, is what I learned in culinary school is essentially... American grilling was the art of cooking undesired meats. Sure. So that's a saying. All the undesired meats eventually turned into like the most desired meats. Are you fucking, yeah, hamburger, yeah. hot dog. Uh-huh. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's American Americana staple well, food. It's because the grill's so hot, you can cook all the shit that makes it inedible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you yeah. It, you uh... literally kill it with fire. <laughs> I'm assuming brisket was probably kind of that way as well. Fucking love brisket. Now, when the very first oyster restaurant opened in the basement of a building in Manhattan in 1763, it created a desire for the bivalve creatures that New Yorkers just couldn't not seem to get enough of. Hell yeah. One British tourist in the 1800s wrote this. Oysters as large as a lady's hand are to be (laughs) had at all hours, either from the shell or cooked in 20 or perhaps 40 or 100 different ways. Oysters pickled, stewed, baked, roasted, fried, and scalloped. Oysters made in soups, patties, and puddings. Oysters with condiments and without condiments. Oysters for breakfast, dinner, and supper. Oysters without stint or limit. He makes it sound like you literally could not eat anything but fucking oysters. Right. That's the whole thing. (laughs) Pickled oysters. I wonder what that tastes like. Is this where Bubba Gump got his uh, (laughs) shrimp (laughs) shrimp thing from? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) 
If that tickled your fancy and you decided to descend into the basement restaurant and then enjoy some oysters for yourself, for a mere six cents, you could have all you can eat. Fuck yeah. Holy shit. Fuck yeah. By 1842, it was believed that in New York alone, over $6 million worth of oysters were being sold every year, and about a million oysters were being consumed every single day. Holy shit. So what? You literally were eating oysters, nothing else. In New York, you were York. an oyster-based person. <laughs> yeah. You I were mean, more oyster than man. How how do you feel about oysters? A little slimy, but I like them. Yeah. Do you like them raw or cooked? I like to shoot them sometimes, you okay. know. Okay. But yeah, uh, I mean, sometimes when they're cooked, they get overdone and turn into rubber rubber things. But when they're done right, <sighs> I need to have them more because Bianca's like obsessed with them. Uh-huh. Obviously, she's from California, but she loves the shooters. Yeah, yeah, they're good. So. They're good. But do you get much taste? You're like putting shit on them and then you just gulp them down. Yeah, you get the taste as it slides on down your throat. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Now, being that America is a capitalistic society and humans have almost no regard for overconsumption, they quickly wiped out almost the entire supply of oysters that they were fishing off the New York Harbor. Doing as greedy humans do, they decided to sail to other locations and collect their precious oysters, which created a new industry of fishing and transporting oysters all along the East Coast, which would inadvertently end up leading to a grisly murder committed at sea. Well, it's perfect because a person like me, I'm not trying to spend all my day on a fucking oyster trawling boat. (laughs) So what I'm going to do is get my own boat full of criminals and we're going to (laughs) steal your fucking oysters and kill you. Well, here's the thing, like... I, I'm just envisioning this, like, when in early 1700s, obviously, in New York, that bay probably, like, you would step on oysters if you went out there. Yeah, I'm like, sure you just... cut your foot on them. <laughs> yeah. I bet they were a nuisance. And then, after 100 years, there's, like, you could barely even find one. Like, that's insane. It's because at first, there's, like, a, a, you're doing your part by eating oysters, I'm sure. I bet they were overpopulated. So, like, you're doing your part, and then they became a delicacy, and people were sprung like a goddamn bear trap <laughs> on these oysters. Can you, Matt? I wonder if Pornhub has a category for, like, oyster sex. There has to be. <laughs> if, for how much people were obsessed, apparently, with oysters in the 1800s, there has to be oyster jerks. Can you imagine them going into brothels and be like, I just want to see how the girls slurp down oysters. That's all I want to see. <laughs> Dude, easiest 20 bucks that chick's going to make. <laughs> with all of that out of the way, we will jump to the second week in March of 1860, when the sleek, single-mast vessel known as Edwin A. Johnson was preparing to depart from New York, headed for Chesapeake Bay in Virginia, to pick up a load of oysters, then return to New York City. Sounds standard. The captain of this vessel was George Hanford Burr, who was married to Didamina Nee Thurber and had five children, Aransas, Hanford, Leander, Desiree, and Georgie. Desiree and Georgie are ladies, by the way. Okay, Uh, but Aransas, Hanford, and Leander (laughs) are all boys, eh? I wouldn't say they had much luck with the ladies after they had those names. Well, here's the interesting thing. His middle name's Hanford, and then he named his son Hanford. Okay. Yeah, hey, why not? I guess. he, He... 
honestly, we shouldn't talk too much shit about the captain because he sounds like a good dude, to be I, honest. I like this you. captain so far. His crewmates were two younger gentlemen he had sailed with before named Oliver Watts, age 24, and Smith Watts, age 19, of Islip, Long Island. Islip, Long Island. Now, this job required a third crew member to help with the cargo, so Captain Burr brought on a burly, muscular boy by the name of William Johnson. Fake name, sounds like. <laughs> you think so? F- fucking Bill, Bill Johnson. Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> So beginning on March 15th, 1860, the ship was scrubbed and had some carpentry work done before finally preparing for Virginia on March 20th. What kind of scrubbing? Were they like getting the barnacles off the bottom I, or something? I, I assume that's what you do, right? You scrub so. the deck and you scrub um, the, the sides of it. Yeah. I think you have to scrub the deck because you stop it from rotting. Isn't sure. that why? Uh, yeah, I bet. Because it's wood. You got to yeah. get some oil on it or something. I don't know. That's if you are a uh, ancient a pirate. Boat. <laughs> if you're a pirate, get yeah. after us. If you learn, if you know, do know how to email now, email us, please. <laughs> yeah. Or have your parrot type it out for you. <laughs> the parrot's the intelligent one of, yeah. of that crew there. <laughs> Captain Burr wrote his wife Didamina this final letter <laughs> before he departed. This man, William Johnson, who lives in New York, is a smart fellow. He is a good hand, can turn his hand to almost anything. He is a ship carpenter, he says, and has got quite a set of tools. (laughs) He understands all about a boat. Would like to see you very much, your affectionate husband ever. Uh, That's so sweet. That is beautiful. You know what? Love existed in 1860, ladies. It's, wow. Uh, chivalry is out there somewhere. I thought love didn't <laughs> pop up till like 1942. Uh-huh. I didn't think so. He, he <laughs> couldn't even like send a, a kissy face emoji. How the hell? I know. Do, or he... a, a flower delivery. I forget the flower <laughs> things. What is the ad they do every I year? I'm just envisioning him with his quill pill. <laughs> Quill pen, yeah. like drawing in a kissy face on that <laughs> yeah. letter there. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping to the following day on March 21st, 1860, in New London, Connecticut, people looking off the coast spotted something drifting through the morning fog. It was the E.A. Johnson drifting along ominously. Its its bow spirit was busted off, and as far as they could see, it looked like nobody was on board. Mm. You know what a bow spirit is, Adam? I do not, but I know this sounds like a goddamn ghost ship to me. <laughs> That'd be so creepy. You see this, I mean, it's not a big boat, but it's a pretty good-sized boat, just kind of like coming through the fog and nobody's driving it. Looks fucked up. Looks yeah. like it's been attacked. So the bow spirit... The bow spirit is um, essentially that pole that sticks out the front of it. Okay, that makes sense. So yeah. I don't know why they call it that. Yeah. It usually I... has a naked mermaid on it or something. Yeah, yeah. But, or a uh, big old penis. Just <laughs> a giant cock. Yeah. I mean, that would be the Bumblebub boat right <laughs> Yeah, there. oh yeah. <laughs> My bow spirit is a giant dick. <laughs> so Captain H. Listar maneuvered his vessel alongside it and eventually would board the E.A. Johnson. The second he stepped on board, he knew there was something very, very wrong. All over the deck was large smears of blood and human hair. When he descended into the cabin, it was almost worse. There was blood splattered everywhere, and all the furniture was thrown all over the place. 
Obviously, Captain Lestaire knew perhaps he needed the police to take a look at the vessel. Fuck yes, he did. (laughs) So he towed the ship into the bay where it could be more thoroughly examined. I love this guy's name. Police officer captain Hart B. Weed. That's his real name. Okay. It's like the boss on Family Guy, (laughs) Jeremiah Weed. Well, I was going to say, every stoner, 18-year-old stoner, would love to have the name Hart Weed. Oh, yeah. Like, Police officer Hart Weed. (laughs) I Hart Weed. (laughs) Along with coroners John Schirmer and Dr. George Boughton would be assigned to investigate the ship. They would write this later. A coffee pot covered with blood and human hair was found in the corner near the stove. A broom, which had apparently been used in sweeping the blood from the floor, (laughs) and a hammer, also smeared with blood, were found near the companionway. Marks of blood were found on the ladder leading up to the deck, upon the lockers, upon the sides of the cabin, and upon the ceiling. There were found fresh and distinct marks, as if made with the blade of a knife or sharp hatchet, upon the beams and ceiling, and one of the indentations was stained in blood. The runs were, upon examination, found to be filled with blood, which had leaked down from the floor and been allowed to remain there in the clotted state in which it was discovered. All the lockers and drawers were stained with blood, probably by the assassin in search of plunder, as also the stone and cooking utensils. From the cabin, the blood was traced up the companionway to the deck where marks, as if produced by the dragging of some bloody substance, were observable all along from the cabin door to the side of the vessel. The rail, too, was smeared with blood and also the side of the sloop, showing that the assassin concluded his work by throwing the evidence of his guilt into the sea. The finger marks of blood on the rail and indentation of a knife leads to the belief that the murderer was compelled to sever the hand of his victim as he clung to the rail support before he could throw him overboard. <laughs> so we're going to talk about that, but uh, the guy's hand is still sticking to the rail. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I didn't know a hand could do that once it's been cut <laughs> off, but apparently... Some people just have that ultimate hand strength. That grip strength. <laughs> I just keep hanging up. I was just thinking, when you're reading this, why is it that, okay, you got blood everywhere, obviously, but when you throw hair, bloody hair in it, it just sounds so much more disgusting. That's uh, the worst. That's like yeah. two things. They compound on each other to be terrible. Because like hair, if you find a bunch of hair around the place, that's gross. If you find a bunch of blood around the place, even worse. Combine them, you got a little Voltron. <laughs> Now, it's pretty obvious that the crew was brutally murdered aboard the E.A. Johnson, but what was the motive? Clearly, they didn't steal the shipment of oysters, so what was on the ship that was so valuable? Well, it appears that Captain Burr was the type of person who was perhaps just a little too trusting and never thought anyone would take advantage of him. He was known as... One of those kind of men who thought everybody else was as honest as himself. On a former voyage... He took all his silver, consisting of several hundred dollars, and placed it on the bunk in an exposed condition. He may have been as careless this time, and thus gave an incentive to someone on board, or some person who came on board, to murder him and those with him. Yeah, you gotta hide that shit. Mm -hmm. Or leave it at home. Don't put it on the ship, dude. Come on, dude. Or put it on the ship, but have a box that locked, like a safe or something in your cabin. Not just like... 
in the bunk room. <laughs> or like a guard parrot or monkey. That's, that's the you... thing. That's really what we're getting at, <laughs> is have a parrot or a monkey. <laughs> As with today, the crime almost instantly swept the headlines, which included a headline such as, Dreadful murder in an oyster boat in New York Bay. <laughs> I kind of wish we still got those headlines, but it's never going to happen again. <laughs> This was actually a good thing for once because it brought forth an individual who knew how the bow spirit aboard the E.A. Johnson had gotten damaged. Oh. I got to be careful with this. Captain Nickerson, (laughs) master schooner of John B. Mather, informed the police that while he was out sailing, it was actually his ship that had collided with the E.A. Johnson. Okay, so not from pirates. This was probably just from a foggy afternoon, and they ran into each other. Yeah, he, well, we'll we'll, we'll hear in a second here. The story goes that Captain Nickerson claimed that prior to the collision while at sea, he noticed that the rogue ship was coming right at him, but he could not see anybody on the deck of the ship outside of the person at the wheel. Hmm. He said he never seen... A more bungling piece of work than that performed by the steersman in question. (laughs) That's like such an old (laughs) insult, dude. (laughs) So basically what he's saying happened is he he was like refusing to move out of the way. And he thought that guy was going to turn. And then at the last minute, he tried to turn and ended up busting off that piece. You know, in... Pilots, I believe, nowadays, the the thing is, if there's a collision in a, imminent, both pilots need to turn right. Okay. They need to yank the stick okay. right. That makes sense. Yeah. Because if they both turn left, then you're, or I mean, one turns right, one turns left, you're both dead. So gotcha. that's like the rule is, the instinct rule is if somebody's coming at you, you turn right and they turn right and everybody will be safe, hopefully. They needed that in these goddamn ship situations. Well- from reading it, Captain Nickerson, right? He was like, I'm a 20-year veteran on the sea. And I think he was kind of like, I'm not moving. You're oh, going to move. ego. Yeah. Ego. Yeah. Mm. These captains, I think, have a lot of mm. ego to them. Absolutely. These seamen. Just look at the goddamn uh, Deadliest Catch. They're all, they are all <laughs> they all think they hung the moon in the goddamn crab fishing sky. Can you imagine an episode of that where they, they turn it on, they're just blood all over the ship, <laughs> and like one hand holding onto the crab net? <laughs> See, now I would watch that. <laughs> we solve the mystery of them getting all killed by pirates here. <laughs> now this is important because it brought to light not only how the ship had been damaged, but also that Captain Nickerson mentioned that a little boat that was attached to the E.A. Johnson was missing, meaning more than likely whoever had murdered the men used that to escape. Sure, take a little dinghy and Mm. get out of there. I guess that is what they called the dinghy, but that just sounds like you're talking about a penis. (laughs) (laughs) This is when they discovered that a small boat had landed near Fort Tompkins on Staten Island. The caretaker here would give a description of the man. Tall, powerfully built, his jawline fringed with thick black whiskers. <laughs> he was wearing a high-crowned Cossack hat, a gray monkey jacket with patches on both elbows, a pair of grayish pantaloons with patches on the knees, and he carried a bag, like a feed bag, apparently well-filled. Okay, does that not sound like your stereotypical pirate sounds outfit? Sounds like an awesome dude, <laughs> yeah. is what that sounds like to me. It's either Jordan showing up for his wedding or it's a pirate, one of the two. I don't know. (laughs) That's a pirate. I mean, Jesus. 
Do, are you required to have the patches? You got to be patched. You got to be patched. Be. They th- they then discovered that the man in question, upon exiting the tiny boat, was looking to board a steamboat headed for Manhattan, but would have to wait a bit for that boat to return. So the mysterious man asked a gentleman named Abraham Hickbert where he could get something to eat in the meantime. Abraham directed him to an oyster saloon where the two of them enjoyed two mugs of hot gin, three eggs, and a bowl of oyster stew. Jeez, that sounds terrible. (laughs) That sounds terrible. Hot gin? I mean, yeah, I, I don't like gin in general, but... Hot gin? No, I don't want hot Christmas tree juice. How do they keep it warm in a shitty saloon? Gross. Three eggs and a bowl of oyster (laughs) stew. That's just a a slimy combination. (laughs) While eating dinner, the stranger told Abraham he was a crew member aboard the William Tell, and that morning the ship had been run into by another schooner in the collision one of the crew members had been crushed against the mast. With his entrails being distributed all over the deck. <laughs> this sounds like he just like squeezed a gusher and it just like splurted everywhere. That's all we are is gushers. Like, yeah, I guess technically. <laughs> when, the, when, the, when the squeezers are big enough, all we are is gushers, baby. That's got to be a sight where you just like get squeezed and like your organs just shoot out your butthole. You just see a man explode. Ooh. Yeah. And another crew member had been thrown overboard. The stranger, of course, being the only one who survived. Naturally. And as the ship was going down, he grabbed his clothes and a bag full of gold and silver <laughs> coins and made his daring escape. Hell yeah. <laughs> sure he <you> did. <laughs> you fucking asshole. <laughs> now, when it came time to pay for his 20-cent meal, the stranger pulled out a $10 gold piece, and the waiter there said there was no way he could break that kind of money. Yeah. So the stranger then pulled out a silver quarter dollar and purchased a cigar as well as paying for the meal. Oh, nice. He really likes cigars, by the way. We're going to find out. Oh, he's a pirate. He should. (laughs) After this, the stranger would board the steamboat uh, he had been waiting for. And for some reason, while aboard the steamboat, decided to show a man by the name of Patrick McCaffrey his large bag of gold and silver coins. So he's a bragger, too, then. Well, that's not going to work. That's never going to work out well if you want to get away with it. He literally robbed somebody for showing all of this stuff. Now he's showing everybody all of this stuff. That is. That (laughs) is. He doesn't understand irony or full circle, but I'm sure it will come back around. Oh, indeed. After he landed, he stopped at a coffee and pie shop and again tried to use a $10 gold piece to pay, which didn't work. Then the stranger finally decided to exchange all the gold and silver coins for small denominational bills from Farmers and Citizens Bank, which got him around $170. That's some walking around money. In 1860... You're balling. Yep. Okay. He's like Nelly of New York right now. Well, he's killing exactly. It. You saw his meal and a cigar cost 25 cents, <laughs> and he's got 170 fucking fat dollars. $170 will buy you like two weeks of groceries right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right now? Yeah. I would say 220 Oh, yeah. I'm forgetting we're talking about uh, one person. Yeah, right. 170 absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yikes. After seeing the story in the paper, a man by the name of Patrick Burke, who was a landlord of a seedy lodging house, would inform the police that a man by the name of William Johnson, his wife and baby, were flaunting a large amount of banknotes 
just prior to them paying the bill at his lodging house and Mm. moving out. Mm. William Johnson decided before he left to tell Patrick that they were moving to Providence, Rhode Island. Hey. Why why is he leaving a trail? I don't know. And (laughs) just like flashing bills. Once we start learning about his prior life, like all of this doesn't make any sense (laughs) why he's doing any of this, honestly. As the police continued to follow the trail of William Johnson, they came to learn a man matching the description of William Johnson and his family had boarded the steamer Bradford Durfee. I miss Bradford. <laughs> oh, how would you like that last name? I wish this was his real last name, Durfee. Bradford Durfee? Well, yeah. no, instead he... Oh, never mind, not Johnson. I was going to say it's something just <laughs> as generic as our hero. It is, it is. I mean, Durfee's pretty unique. I've never met a Durfee. Never in my life. <laughs> And they were headed for Providence. They would come to learn that William Johnson had asked those aboard the ship for advice on where to live in Providence. They were recommended some hack housing located in the city. Now, do you know what hack housing is? I'm assuming it's temporary just moving to the city housing until you can find somewhere to actually buy. So apparently what it is, I had to look this up, obviously, it'd be like, this home we're in right now, yeah. Like I rent out the rooms. Okay, that's hack housing. Nice. I guess you're like hacking pieces of your house. I don't know. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah so it's very weird. Still away, people. I mean, Craigslist. Absolutely. Craigslist roommates. That's what that is. I'm pretty sure if you live in San Francisco, you are required to have hack housing. Yeah, even in a studio apartment. I'm sure. In the fucking closet. Yeah. Now. <laughs> With this information, the police pretty quickly were able to track down the hack housing he was staying at. Now, it was owned by Mrs. Crowell, and when the police arrived, uh, she wasn't exactly a happy camper. So she pretty quickly informed them where the suspect uh, they were looking for was staying. Now, for some reason, the police knocked on the door, and when William Johnson's wife answered, they told her that her husband had given them two counterfeit 25-cent pieces, <gasps> and they were demanding to be paid back. Fuck yeah. Why would they say that? I don't know. That is a weird lie or I'm, like a weird flex or something. Do you think counterfeit money was so common that this was like a very believable thing that could have happened? I actually do. Yeah. I actually do think so. so counterfeiting, uh, counterfeiting coins back in the day was a big business. Can, I just couldn't imagine right now, like, you'd have some people who have cash and some people who have gold and silver, and you just kind of, like, you're working at a restaurant, you gotta, just got to figure out, how, like, that yourself as a waiter. Yeah. That sounds terrible. Well, the gold, the good thing about gold and silver is this was back when our currency was actually based mm. on that. Mm-hmm. So the gold and silver was actually in denominate, like, one ounce was one dollar. That was the point of the thing. One ounce of silver was one dollar. Okay, so these people should have known all of that. Yeah, absolutely. So when he gave him a ten dollar one, that was ten ounces of gold? No, 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 no. That was probably one ounce of gold. Okay. And they're like, we can't even break. What do you give him back for that? Uh, if he had a 20 cent meal, you give him all bills? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just give him bills. Okay. Yeah, you give him eight bucks and whatever, <laughs> nine bucks and 80 cents. What would you do right now for that 10, I guess, $10? That $10 gold piece, gold piece is worth, what, 20,000 now, probably? Is 20, it really? Well, it's an ounce of gold, whatever that's going for. So, yeah. Does it have increased value because of the age of it? Or no? no, it's just no. the. Um, 
Unless it's in super mint condition, then it would be for numismatic value, mm. which is collect coin collectors. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just for the weight. I remember, I think it was on Pawn Stars. I hate Pawn Stars, by the way. But they had like that pirate's gold or like that. The that doubloons? Un- no, it was like a gold bar that someone recovered from like under the sea. Oh. And it was like kind of weathered. You could tell it had been underwater for a while. It was kind of neat. Did they buy it? Yeah, they bought it, but I think they only gave them the gold price for it. Lame, dude. Yeah. Lame. That shit looks sick. I know. It was like a shittily made gold bar. It wasn't like the gold bars you see on uh, Die Hard or anything. Right, yeah. You know? Now, Mrs. Johnson quickly said her husband wasn't home right now and just slammed the door on their faces. <laughs> so they would wait until 2 a.m. the following morning to return and see if William Johnson had returned home finally. Instead of risking his wife answering the door, this time they got Mrs. Crowell to just let them in the room. Sure. After they entered, they quickly discovered William Johnson was sleeping. Under a mass of bed quilts drawn over his head. <laughs> I feel like it'd be hot. Hell yeah, that sounds terrible. <laughs> With his wife sleeping peacefully next to him. Naturally, they woke him up because they had a few questions for him. Now, something they thought was a little weird was the fact that After they woke up William Johnson, and he was now surrounded by seven strange gentlemen, he didn't seem bothered or worried in the slightest. That's good for him. He was cool as a cucumber just sitting there. Con man, confidence man. That's what he is, baby. Once we talk about his his life, I think you're going to get why he probably didn't care. Okay, okay. I think he might be a bonafide psychopath. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, They started questioning him about being in New York and where he had been the last few days. William Johnson was telling them that he hadn't been to New York in several months, but when they spotted $120 in small denominational bills issued from Farmers and Citizens Bank, he was promptly arrested. Uh Uh-huh. Apparently, William Johnson's wife was sobbing so badly that a police officer gave her a $10 bill of the confiscated money <laughs> to try to soothe her. Well, she was probably like, how am I going to feed the kids? What am I going to do? That's my husband. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to get a cop to do this nowadays. No, certainly not. <laughs> They're not going to be like, here's your drug money. Here's $10 of your dr- stolen drug money. It's. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny. They That's just didn't good. know what to do. They're like, here's $10. Yeah. <laughs> Something the police would notice weird about William Johnson is... Even while being placed in the jail cell, he had just a look of melancholia and just simply asked for his pipe so he can enjoy his smoke. After lighting his pipe, the man spoke up and said that William Johnson wasn't actually his name. He said, I sometimes go by that name when I go to sea, but my right and proper name is Albert W. Hicks. (laughs) So you were right. That is the most generic made-up name you can have i knew it i knew it (laughs) and that's so great he's just like what what's going on oh seven dudes somebody give me a pipe (laughs) (laughs) is this alan john's house (laughs) (laughs) now with all this talk of piracy and the men and the mention that this man albert hicks is supposedly one of the last pirates why did he get caught so easily because he's an idiot i where this is where I think it gets weird because if he's supposedly a successful pirate, this entire crime seemed pretty sloppy. Fuck yeah. So let's hear about the history told by Albert Hicks and decide for ourselves. Well, Albert Hicks had quite a checkered past to say the least. We don't know a whole lot about his background outside of 
He was either born in 1820 or 1828. I don't know why it's those two years. But Maybe he's one. like, he remembers it and he can't remember if the zero had a little line in the middle making it an eight or not. I'm, I, I'm guessing he can't read probably. Gotta be. <laughs> also, he was either born in the cities of Foster or Gloucester, Rhode Island. He doesn't know that either. His father was a collier as a young man, which is kind of makes sense why he gets into the uh, seafaring life, right? Then eventually shifted into the life of a farmer and had a long-standing reputation as a respectable man, hmm. unlike his son, Albert. Yeah. Albert Hicks had six brothers, two of which would become wealthy landowners, three of which we have zero idea about, and one named Simon, who is known to be dull-witted and would gain notoriety as a killer. An idiot killer, huh? <laughs> Look, I'm Im- I'm imagining in this time, like, the IQ level is pretty low. Oh, yeah. So if you're considered dull-witted in the 1800s, Whew. you had to be pretty dumb. You got to be a brickhead. <laughs> you, got- you really got to be a brickhead. God. One night, Simon Hicks snuck into the home of an acquaintance named Jonathan Crossman. Jonathan was asleep in his sleeping bag when Simon beat him to death with a club. Fuck. Simon then robbed him of several hundred dollars, which he then spent on lavish gifts and a gold watch for his prostitute girlfriend. Simon was quickly arrested and was sentenced to death. But after a riot in the prison he was he was at, he escaped and was never heard from again. Wow. So, yeah, we have no idea what happened to Simon. Wow. (laughs) Now, whether Simon was a role model for Albert, we don't know. But what we do know is Albert Hicks decided to follow down the footsteps of his brother and take it even further. Albert grew tired of honest man's work at a young age. Hell yeah, brother. (laughs) And decided to try to make money the easy way by becoming a thief. Oh, hell no, brother. (laughs) At a young age, he started stealing from stores, which quickly landed him in jail. Uh Uh-huh. Shoplifting. (laughs) Basically. I mean, that's the earliest form of the way these scumbags operate. They start stealing from corner stores. I I love how they worded it in the book. He stole from unguarded merchandise. Boo. Whatever that means, I guess. (laughs) That just means he stole from a store. Because obviously nobody's guarding every (laughs) merchandise in the store. He would make several attempts to escape, but was never successful. And because of the escape attempts, he would land in solitary confinement for long periods of time. Yep. Imagine 1800s solitary confinement. Yep. It's an actual dungeon. It's an actual dungeon. (laughs) Where he started brooding about... Wrongs. Wrongs the world had done me. And began plotting vengeance against the whole human race. Okay, this is literally, um, what's his name? I can't think of his name. The most wicked man, no, uh, what is his name? The the jail guy, he was like a pedophile in the early 1900s. Panzram. Carl Panzram. I think he literally said that line. He wrote a whole manifesto about it, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How much he hated humanity. After he was released from prison, he once again tried to live an honest life on his father's farm, but quickly discovered that his true calling in life was to become a pirate, traveling the world, robbing, butchering natives, instigating mutinies, and as Albert Hicks put it in his confession... 
living a wild gorilla life, plundering all who promised anything like booty and never hesitating to take the lives of such as resisted us or were likely to betray us. We spared neither age nor sex. How many times during this period I dyed my hands in human blood, I do not know. No prayers, no entreaties moved us, as it seemed as if my heart was dead to every human feeling, and was a stranger to pity and every soft emotion. <sighs> Either he's the world's biggest edgelord, yes. or he's a sick fucking man. Yes, both. And also a cool pirate, <clears throat> which is a problem, but I listen to so much music about cool pirates. Okay. If you were a pirate from, uh, let's just say, 1600s to 1800s. The golden age of piracy. Were you um, basically a mass murderer? Yes. Yeah. Because it sounds like that's what this guy did. He just just killed people to get to the money that he wanted. See, there were those types, and then there were the other types that were like, this is simply business. Mm, You have to understand. Yes, we're going to rob you. Don't resist. Well, it's a good job. It's a good thing um, Albert Hicks didn't run into uh, what's his name. I can't I think of his name now. Tom Hanks played him in the movie. Castaway. No. Well, if the he Captain re- Phillips. Yeah, Captain Phillips, <laughs> because uh, he would have been taken out immediately. Yes, yes. Now, to his other pirate cronies, he was known as Hicksie. Hey, Hicksie. His rampage of lawlessness one time landed him in California. Hicks would later confess this happened while there in the most poetic way possible. Often at midnight, when all nature slept and none were aboard, save the wild beast and the wilder (laughs) men, have I and my companions stealthily approached some house and, breaking in upon the fancied security of the inmates, killed them as they slept. The old man whose gray hairs glistened in the moonlight and whose venerable presence might have touched any hearts but ours. The little children locked in each other's arms, dreaming of butterflies and flowers and singing birds. The young husband and the just budding women, the fond wife and doting husband, all fell beneath my murderous hand, or were made the shrieking victims of my unholy passion first, and then slaughtered like cattle. Ooh, fuck. He's just like... So he raped... Children, women, yeah. old men, old men, old women, didn't well, matter. He obviously he's a rapist. I'm pretty sure that's what unholy passion means. That but, is absolutely uh, what that means, yes. He but, fucked he hate fucked them. But I think what it it's getting at is he just like he didn't give a fuck. He'd just kill whoever was yeah, in his way. He'd that's what do, he was saying there. He'd do whatever the why is it so like like, I feel like this is what you would see in a goddamn Stephen King book, this paragraph here. Yeah. Like, it's very, like, I don't know. I don't even know how you say it. Like, how does this killer pirate write like that? That's the thing, though. If you look at it, I forget who said this. It was a comedian that used to be on Comedy Central. He was like, the, the letters home from the guys in the Civil War were written like this. But then, like, the ones written today from the guys in Iraq are like, my balls are sweetie. (laughs) This is very true. Well, by the way, the the quotes Adam's reading here, um, we'll we'll talk about, he. this is all coming after he's in prison. Sure. He wrote, like, a manifesto. So these are this man's words, exactly. So Awesome. So, yeah, he apparently writes very nice. 
Um, after he was done in California, he headed to San Francisco and continued his crimes with his cronies, Albert said. Among the lawless, there were none more lawless than I. Among the profligate and depraved, none more so than I. Among the reckless and desperate, none more reckless or so desperate as I and my companions. The barroom, the brothel, the monte table were the only attractions for us. And for six months, we led the life of demons, leaving no bad impulse, no fiendish purpose, no gross passion, nor any wicked design ungratified or unaccomplished. <sighs> These guys would be scary to run into. Just going to say This that. is like a bachelor party in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> This is like if you mix, um, we're going to think of the hostel and the hangover. Yes, yeah, there you go. You figured it <laughs> out. You have this man's life And right mixed now. in a little bit master and commander. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> when the heat got too hot, he seemed to move to another spot. I didn't mean to make that rhyme. Hey, that was great. Uh, such as Rio de Janeiro, he said. Where we robbed all worth robbing and murdered all who resisted us. Or such places as Mexico. Belize, Buenos Aires, Constantinople. Which is now? Um, New York. Nope. I, I it, don't know. Istanbul. Istanbul. That's there right. we go. Okay. I shouldn't mind. So this guy fucking got around the world. It seemed like he really liked South America. And Greece, and, I guess. Yeah. It's like, it seems like he would just like kill, rob, slaughter everybody. And before the cops or anything could get onto him, they just took the hell off and went to another place and did the same thing. Like pirates, baby. Yeah. It's, Love it. <laughs> this is literally pirates because they're going around the world. We don't know who the other people were with them. And it like the instigating mutinies thing, right? He It sounded like sometimes he'd literally get on a ship, make them, convince them all to turn on the guy in charge and kill everybody and... Love it was like it. his fun game. I love it. That's, I mean, I've read so many <laughs> stories and played as many video games as I can about this shit. Yeah, this is this instigating mutinies up. and shit. Yeah. That's so cool. Eventually, though, every pirate needs to settle down, and Albert Hicks' time came when he got married to his wife in 1857 in New York, but he still wasn't going to completely give up the life of crime. Shortly after they were married, Albert and his wife were living in Lower Manhattan in the district known as the Five Points. Which, if you've ever seen... The Gangs of New York. That's correct. Hell yeah. And let me uh, mention some more stuff about the Gangs of New York. He then made friends with the local gangs such as the Bowery Boy, mm -hmm. the Bowery Gang, the Daybreak Boys, mm -hmm. or even the Dead Rabbits. Damn, he was in with the Dead Rabbits. Hell yeah. Wait, weren't the Bowery gang like the main one in that movie? The Bowery Boys, I feel the like Bowery they were. Boys, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's what they were called, but he called, Harold Schechter called them the Bowery I bet, gang. I bet that's probably what they were actually called, and Scorsese called them the Bowery Boys, because <laughs> that movie's not exactly historically accurate. No, 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 no. Because <laughs> Phil thought that um, Bill the Butcher was supposed to be the, uh, what the hell's the guy's name? The corrupt politician guy, I can't think of his name now. We uh, were just talking Tammany about Hall? Yeah, who was a leader of that a long time ago? Uh, like a long fat time man, ago. The fat man. Where they'd like bring in the Irish and shave them and yeah. make them vote. Yeah. They, he thought that was, Bill the Butcher was supposed to be that guy. Gotcha. But uh, but yeah, he just kind of, um, well, he just kind of went along with whoever wanted him, essentially. Any bad boys. Fucked yeah. up. Uh, he would join them whenever. Activities promised excitement and loot. <laughs> 
Now he would just be a goddamn World of Warcraft player. Yes, L L F G. Looking for all that loot. Looking for excitement and loot. Uh, Hicks liked to refer to himself as the worst man who ever lived. According to Albert Hicks, he claims to have murdered over a hundred people by himself. Shit. Um, if that's true, that seems to be the highest body count, right? No, yeah, no doubt. No <laughs> doubt. He is the highest serial killer of all. And honestly, if he was going around the world and just like either doing on ships or breaking into people's houses or like what I don't know, that's fucked up. This guy is a hundred years outside of where he should be. Yeah. Because things are modernizing and this isn't going to work for him anymore. <laughs> no. Maybe that's what it was. Like he, he thought he could just get away with, or maybe he hadn't done the pirate thing exactly in quite a while. So then when he sh- he saw the ship whatever coming up he's like oh i can just quickly do that sure that's a you quick know. quick score but then it's like he didn't have his posse with him and you know I, maybe he just got overconfident perhaps it's got to be i think when you take that many prizes eventually you have to be like well i'm obviously unstoppable i am the demon pirate yeah well we're gonna go into his confession of killing the people on the boat and it's I wouldn't be surprised if this man killed 100 people by sure, himself. Sure. So when it comes to the murder of those aboard the E.A. Johnson, it doesn't really seem out of the realm of question for a man like Albert Hicks to have committed it. But as no surprise, Albert was remaining steadfast that he had no involvement in those murders. Smart. The following morning after his arrest, they would place him on a train that was going to be transported back to New York City. That's where he's facing some trials. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, when the train carrying the detectives and Albert Hicks approached the station in New York, they were greeted with a little surprise. A crowd of over a thousand people were waiting at the station, just hoping to catch a glimpse of the oyster stoop murderer. I kind of like that. I kind of like that. The oyster stoop murderer. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) That's so ridiculous. (laughs) They need they didn't they didn't have the best like um what do they call them like poop poof up the story guys there yeah they didn't have any fluffers yeah, yeah. that's what is fluffers there yeah. now they just, in the, <laughs> they in, just it's so literal the oyster stew murder now in the year uh, twenty twenty fluffer has a very different meaning doesn't certainly. it certainly <laughs> and it turns out that's not even a real position I thought it was for the longest I, I mean I really didn't think it was the who who the hell would sit and blow people. Like all day, I mean, you know. For cash money, why not? I guess, maybe. Sounds tiring. Ah, it sounds like you're going to have a sore (laughs) jaw and an even sore hands. Well, now they can just get like those Japanese blowjob, or Chinese blow, are they Japanese or Chinese blowjob? If they're Chinese, I don't want it. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) Even when facing a mob of onlookers, Hicks just sat on the train, stared out the window, completely unfazed, smoking a cigar. Mm. Didn't care at all. Mm. The one good part about this mob is that it would bring out some important witnesses. First was a man by the name of Simon G. Conover, who was a jewelry shop owner. Now, Simon would notice that Hicks was wearing Captain Burr's silver pocket watch. Uh-huh. 
Simon was able to identify it because he had cleaned that exact same watch for Captain Burr several times. Sure, I didn't think about the, the mob not so much to string them up, but mm. just more people can be like, hey, that's the fucking asshole that did dude, this. Or... Dude, none of these crowds that are obsessed with him want to kill him. They just literally want to, like, gaze at them. Sure, and that's perfect. Yeah, true crime addicts, okay? 1860 true crime addicts right. still existed. right. There was also an oyster merchant named Daniel Simmons, who was literally the one who hired Captain Burr and his crew to pick up his oysters, and he immediately recognized Albert Hicks as the man known as William Johnson. Perfect. Eventually, Hicks would be transported to the infamous jail in New York City, the Tombs. Ooh, yeah. We've talked about this like we three have. times yes, now. Yes, we have. Uh, Terrible. This <laughs> yeah. is an actual dungeon. Uh, who's been there? It was the father, Schmidt, yeah. and uh, Albert Fish, yep, Fishy. I think, in yep, there. Yep. So, His first night at the tombs, he was visited by his wife who would tell him, look at your offspring, you rascal, and think what you've brought on us. Oh, if I could get in at you, I'd pull your bloody heart out. Whoa. Hicks calmly replied, why, my dear wife, I've done nothing. <laughs> it will be all out in a day or two. <laughs> One of the biggest issues they were facing in convicting Hicks with the three murders was in the 1800s, having the bodies of those who had been murdered was considered to be a very important piece of evidence nope. and would prove to be a bit difficult because Hicks had thrown the bodies overboard. And as we know now, they will never locate a the bodies or a single shred of evidence of the bodies even existing. Sure. Just the blood, hair, and that one hand. Right. Even the U.S. District Attorney, I should say assistant, James F. Dwight, who was the lead prosecutor in the case, believed that to charge Hicks with murder, it was going to be necessary to find the bodies. But there was a nice little loophole they could use as a workaround because of the area the crime occurred. Dwight would invoke the third section of Chapter 113 of the U.S. Statutes at Large, which said... Robbery committed upon the high seas or in any basin or bay within the Admiralty Maritime Jurisdiction of the United States is declared by the Act of Congress passed in 1820 to be piracy and punishable with <laughs> death. Doesn't matter if you have a murder. If you're a pirate, you're fucking dead, dude. Pirates, ye be warned. <laughs> yeah. This is literally Pirates of the Caribbean. You are going to be hung. <laughs> yeah. Now, interestingly, while awaiting his day in court, Hicks was visited by an interesting character about a week after being arrested. That individual was P.T. Barnum. What? What? Yeah. What? The huckster himself? <laughs> the huckster king? Uh, Barnum wanted to do the exact same thing he had done with Polly Bodine. You remember that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, he he loved that statue of her. Uh, in one, And that was to make a wax statue of the crimes of Albert Hicks. Hicks would agree, so right in of the- Of course he agreed. <laughs> I mean, he would show he was showing off his loot, so like he yeah. wants to be immortalized. He, yeah, I guess that's right. He loves that. <laughs> so right in the jail cell, Barnum and his helper made a plaster cast of Hicks's face. In exchange for allowing Barnum to do this, Barnum gave Hicks a fine Havana cigar. That's all he wanted is a nice cigar. Awesome. Jumping to May 14th, 1860, when Albert Hicks' trial was about to begin, 
a, f- a kind of funny thing happened. Judge David Allen Smalley. I thought you were going to say Greer. <laughs> David Allen Greer. David Allen. Maybe this is like his, maybe this is who he's named after. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> Uh, had made sure jury selection went smoothly for everybody involved. He ruled that it didn't matter how much any of the potential jurors had read about the case in the newspapers. Fuck yeah, it's piracy. <laughs> they don't give a shit. They don't give a shit. That's piracy, baby. They hated it. Wait till you hear this article written by somebody in the New York Times. Every man reads the newspapers who knows how to read at all or who is fit to take part in any judicial proceeding. When a great crime is committed, which causes a general sensation, everybody reads the report of it if he knows how to read. And if he does not know how, he is not fit to sit on a jury. The citizens of the U.S. are the best jurymen in the world for the simple reason that they do read newspapers more than any other people and do weigh the evidence they furnish and do form an opinion thereon. It is this very habit which renders a man admirably fit to sit as judge on a trial, and the more addicted to it he is, the better juryman he makes. <laughs> okay, I'm pretty sure that's literally not legal that's at backwards. all. Yeah. That's backwards. That's backwards according to the law. I was like, he's just like, if you can't read, you cannot be on the jury because you were not reading about the case in the newspapers. So. <laughs> God I love damn. how backwards the world was in the 1800s. Oh, I just and love people, it. People will always try and spin it to their <laughs> advantage. And he kind of was selling his newspapers because he was like, yeah. you got to keep reading these or you'll be a dummy. Yeah, you're an <laughs> idiot and can't sit on the jury. Now, as I mentioned, I don't really think that's legal today. Additionally, to the fact that his lawyers... Messrs. Grave and Sales <laughs> uh, were very awful at their job. The grueling testimony from the wives of those murdered, the tainted views of the jury, it was pretty safe to say regardless of the crimes perpetrated, the cards were immediately stacked against him. Yeah. So it was no surprise when after a mere seven minutes, the jury would return with a guilty verdict. Yeah, wow. So they went in, had a cup of coffee, and came right <laughs> they back came out. came right back out. Uh, but they would still need to decide whether they were going to execute him or not. Now, Albert Hicks would try to play with his brother Arnold for money to help him with his appeal, but Arnold turned him down, and his lawyer tried to get the verdict invalidated on the grounds that it didn't happen on the high seas, it happened in the lower bay, thus... There was no piracy. Uh, did you not read the thing about the bays <laughs> and the lowlands and all that shit? Uh, yeah, you can see his lawyers are idiots. Uh, well, uh, they're just trying to do whatever. They're doing their <laughs> job. They're they're challenging the law. That is what they're trying but to do. I didn't include it, but the, the prosecutor had like so many witnesses that just destroyed him. Sure. Uh, his lawyer had two that were invalidated, and they there's didn't try just, anybody else. There's no goddamn defense for what he's done. He's killed a hundred men True. across the world. You got to remember, he has not admitted any of this yet. Okay, he doesn't until after he's um, convicted. Albert Hicks was sent back to court on June first, eighteen sixty, to face sentencing. U.S. District Attorney James I. Ro- Rosenbelt said this in court. As an officer of the United States, I am here to move for the judgment which the law has affixed to the crime of piracy upon the high seas in the case of Albert W. Hicks. To that crime, the law has assigned the punishment of death and no other punishment. So you they're going to kill you. It does not matter. 
No other sentence. You're just dead. And this fella <laughs> is from a very prominent New York family, the Roosevelts. Uh, have you ever heard of James Roosevelt? Uh, Roosevelt. Roosevelt. Yeah, like the presidents. Right. But that's what? from that family. I wonder if he's related to any of them. Yeah. You, it's you a prominent so? New York district attorney. There's no question. Uh, look, watch the Ken Burns Roosevelts. You'll see they Ooh. were the power family of New York. Do they mention the reptilian lineage of them all? Uh, they don't, but they hint <laughs> at it. Okay. Okay. That's all I need to hear. Yeah. Uh, his execution date would be set for July 13th, 1860, roughly about a month and a half away. After he was found guilty is when Albert Hicks decided to openly confess uh, to all of his previous crimes, mm. his life of piracy, mm. and most importantly, he went into graphic detail about what he had done on that fateful night aboard the E.A. Johnson. Good. <sighs> Hicks heard that the ship, the E.A. Johnson, could possibly be holding over $1,000 and viewed robbing them as... Easy prey. <laughs> It was between 9 p.m. and 10 p.m. that exact same night they had departed for Virginia that Hicks decided to murder all of them. 18-year-old Oliver Watts would be the first to go. That night, Oliver Watts was simply sitting on the deck looking off into the darkness. This is when Hicks came up behind him while concealing an axe behind his back. Hicks said to Oliver, Look, ain't that Barnegat lighthouse over there? <laughs> Is that just how you distract somebody? Is that Barney a lighthouse over there? <laughs> what the hell? The second Oliver turned his head, Hicks slammed the axe directly into Oliver's skull, splitting it open and causing him to drop to the floor. The noise of his body hitting the deck woke up his brother Smith. Smith quickly ran onto the deck and asked Hicks, What's the matter? <laughs> Hicks then immediately slammed the axe into Smith's neck. Oh, Hicks said, It was like chopping a small tree. The whole head came off. The rest of him took a few steps, spouting like a fountain. Then it sagged down as the head rolled along the deck. It sounds like a Mortal Kombat when you do an uppercut that cuts somebody's head off. Toasty! <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. That do you think he's dramatizing this? Do you think the body actually walked after its head was cut uh, off? I mean, that's what chickens do, right? But I don't know I if guess. humans do that or not. <laughs> that's fucked up. It's golly, so golly. Uh, feeling a sense of urgency, Hicks then quickly ran down into the captain's cabin to kill Captain Burr. Now, before he could just get Captain Burr with the axe, Burr must have awoken because he was able to put up a fight for a while. Burr was able to knock Hicks to the ground and began choking him, but Hicks was simply too strong and eventually pushed Burr off of him. After returning to his feet, Hicks took his axe and plunged it into Captain Burr's head. Hicks said, The blow took half of his head. Half of his eye was on the blade. A piece of his nose, some beard. Ooh, that is like a horror movie. Uh, they cut their head and like the pieces are just sliding off of the uh, blade. Yeah, like 13 ghosts yeah. when she gets cut in half. Yikes. After this, Hicks headed up to the deck to catch his breath. And to his surprise, Oliver Watts was still alive, albeit extremely wounded, but alive and staggering on his feet. With his head split open. Yeah, and his... Uh, presumably his brain hanging out. <laughs> 
How did that? I don't know. The fortitude of the Watts brothers is insane. I can see why JJ JJ Watts so good now. Yeah, he could cut his head off and it still play. JJ Kilowatt. <laughs> Hicks then hit him over the head with the blunt side of the axe, dragged him to the rail, and proceeded to toss him over. But somehow. Some way, Oliver had managed to grab onto the railing and was gripping it so tightly that Hicks couldn't pry his fingers off of it. So he took the axe and just chopped Oliver's entire hand off. God damn. Oliver's hand still remained grasping the ship's rails, even after being severed, and was, like I mentioned, eventually still found grasping the rail by the police. How do you do that? How How does that happen? I'm just like, I just feel so bad for Oliver. His yeah. brain's hanging out. Yeah. Then he gets concussed and his yeah. hand cut off, and now he has to drown. Yeah. That's, he, his, that's the way he dies. That is the toughest son of a bitch I've ever heard of yeah. in my fucking life. Yes. Holy hell. Before disposing of the other two bodies, Hicks had a few tankards of ale, then threw Smith, Watts, and Captain Burr, Burr overboard. Hicks claimed that he... Actually had a tough time locating the head of Smith Watts as it must have rolled into the shadows of the deck of the ship. Uh, After disposing of the bodies and collecting his booty, he took the little ship and departed the vessel. Now, he doesn't mention it, but I'm guessing somewhere in between throwing the bodies away and getting on the little ship, he must have been steering it when he ran into the other ship. Uh Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because then... that's when he was like, "That guy's a fucking idiot." <laughs> uh, when the date finally came for Hicks's execution, it ended up turning into a bit of a spectacle. First off, he was set to be hung on Bedloe Island, which will become the future site of the Statue of Liberty. Huh. Uh, this ad began to run in all the local newspapers. Oh, for the execution, the beautiful and commodious steamboat Chicopee will leave this city on Friday morning for the purpose of affording all on board an opportunity of witnessing the execution of Albert Hicks, the pirate. The boat will lay near the island until the ceremonies are over. This will be a fine chance for sea captains and seafaring men generally to view the exit of one of the most atrocious of the scourges of the profession. The boat will leave the foot of Spring Street at 8 o'clock a.m., refreshments on board, tickets $1 each. Okay, now this sounds like a good uh, first date right This is here. a good group on. If this showed up in my in my email, I'd be like, woo! $1 execution, refreshments on board, let's go. Come on. You know they've got oysters out the ass for oh sale on this God. motherfucker. Oysters are, they come with every drink. Did you know Bedlow Island or the Statue of Liberty? They used to execute people there all the time. I, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, That's some killed, liberty for you. They killed a lot of people on that son of a bitch. Oof. Vessels of all kind made their way to Bedlow Island on that fateful day. It was estimated in attendance was about 10,000 onlookers. God damn. The New York Herald said, this is my favorite quote of the entire episode. White shirts, red shirts, blue shirts, blue jackets, red jackets, green jackets, and every steamer, vessel, and yacht decorated with lively colored flags. The scene was as gay as a Sicilian fiesta. (laughs) They needed only music to make the occasion perfect. Okay, is this throwing shade at Italian people? Gay men happy back then. Well, I know that, but why did they have to say a Sicilian festival? They're saying fucking, that shit pumps. That shit bumps. Look, 
all you fans of Jersey Shore, this was 1800 Jersey Shore right here. They're partying. Oh, yeah. Like a Sicilian party. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that shit made me laugh so hard. I... <laughs> Uh, even in attendance were the famous spiritualists at the time, the Fox sisters, oh. Margaret and Catherine Fox. By the way, I'm going to mention, I started reading this book on them. I wanted us to do the episode, but oh. it's it's very, very thick and very, very dense. Pretty so, dry. Yeah, yeah. It, it's going to take a while for us to get to them, but they're very interesting uh, con men. That's awesome, yeah. Uh, they're con- like the, uh, uh, whatever they are, the Warrens. Well, they... Uh, from the sounds of it, them two girls essentially started that entire, like, kind of seance wave and wow. shit that kind of took over America. We've talked about that shit. And so, do they ever end up in contact with uh, what's his name? Uh, we're gonna get to that. They they claim they're gonna speak to his ghost after he after he's hard. Oh, no, their... I no, I mean, yeah. like, do they end up in what's the one guy's name? The super famous magician guy, Alistair Crowley. Oh, I don't think so. Oh, no. I They did have a run-in with Houdini, though. I remember who was Ooh. trying to prove him wrong, I'm pretty sure. Oh. Um, by the way, uh, spoiler alert, they do admit to being frauds before they die. Awesome. So, yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, their whole point, like I mentioned, is they wanted to talk with the ghost of Hicks after he's been hanged. Sure. Perhaps the most important people in attendance were aboard the now-fixed E.A. Johnson was the family and friends of those murdered by Albert Hicks who got a front row seat. So their boat was like literally right next to the shore. Good. Now, Hicks had a busy morning. He was awoken at about 4 a.m. for his last meal, which consisted of bacon, eggs, bread, and tea. Interesting. They probably He probably didn't get to pick like they did for a no, while. No, absolutely not. But I'm assuming bacon, eggs, bread, and tea was kind of a basic breakfast we have coffee now that kind of has now to they have tea. That, and for a prisoner that has to be an upgrade of what they're usually getting <laughs> rat shit casserole yeah. probably uh there's a funny story about the suit that hicks was supposed to wear for his date with the gallows that pt barnum had given him in exchange for his clothes he had wore in jail because barnum wanted to use those clothes at his museum <laughs> uh but hicks quickly found out that the suit given to him by Barnum was pretty shitty. Oh. He got ripped off by PT. <laughs> Come on, buy an Italian suit. Uh, so the jail gave him an outfit which included a blue cottonade coat ornamented with glitten buttons and needlework anchors, blue pants, a white shirt, and a pair of light pumps, Hicks said. I feel like an admiral. <laughs> kind of looked like one, dude. That's, pretty, honest, yeah. that's actually pretty nice of them to do that. I mean, they definitely don't give prisoners nice clothing now. No. Uh, They transported him to Bedloe Island and walked him up to the gallows. The executioner asked him if he had any final words, and Albert Hicks simply said, Hang me quick. Make haste. (laughs) Now, keep in mind, this wasn't like the traditional gallows with a trap door. This one was equipped with what they called fatal weights. Basically, they would drop the weights and the body would be flung into the air. Like a catapult. Yes. Oh, my God. Uh, If they didn't snap the neck immediately, they would have to sit and suffocate to death. Yeah. One witness at the execution said this. For the first three minutes, the culprit struggled severely. 
At 11.18, his limbs began to relax. Moments afterwards, there was a short, convulsive twitch of the shoulders, and all was still. Now his hands began to grow dark under the influence of the pinioning, and the neck above the noose assumes a similar hue, and the body becomes motionless, except when moved to and fro by the wind. I just am envisioning they're waiting the three minutes for him to choke to death, and all the Sicilians are just boogieing on their boats. (laughs) (laughs) Fiesta time. (laughs) Cannolis being thrown everywhere, pasta thrown everywhere. Guys, are you not even watching this show here? It's a Sicilian graduation party. Okay, but seriously, how awkward is that three minutes of waiting for him to die? I'm sure some people are thrilled, and other people are just like, Can you just, like pull his neck or something get this over with yeah they made a big deal about when they're getting executed they break down the gallows and like ship them to this location so that's why they don't have like a trap door because it's just like a basic column (laughs) a rope that just kind of like pulls you up that's fucking strange yeah yikes about 11 minutes after the initial hanging they cut hicks's body down it was examined by dr kennedy who would check to see if there was a pulse or a heartbeat. Dr. Kennedy then detected a slight muscular contraction of the heart. Whoa. So they strung him back Whoa. up for an additional half an Whoa. hour. <laughs> Can you do this? What about double indemnity or whatever? They don't care. He's a pirate. Holy shit. How the fuck is he still alive after 11 minutes? My God. And Yikes. then they strung him back up. Yeah. Uh, after which then the... 41 minutes he was officially dead. God damn it. Yikes. After that, his body was placed in a black walnut coffin loaded on the steam tugboat named Only Sun and returned to Manhattan to be buried at Calvary Cemetery. As for P.T. Barnum, he took the clothes he had acquired from Albert Hicks, put them on display, and claimed that they were the exact same clothing that Hicks wore when he butchered all of those people aboard the E.A. Johnson, <laughs> which that remained one of the most popular attractions at his museum until its closing. Wow. Um, additionally, Margaret Fox was unable to establish a connection with the ghost of Albert Hicks. It was a uh, busy signal. Yeah. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Albert doesn't want to talk to your bitch ass No, here. get out of here, Mar- Margaret. So what do you think about Bumblebutt's first pirate there? I love it. Uh, that that was really uh, a fun one. Uh, that guy was a real nightmare. Albert do you think Hicks. he? Do you believe he killed that many people? If there, I wish there was more evidence, like maybe Greek evidence, because he was in Constantinople or from you know Mexico, Brazil. I would like to hear accounts of what Albert Hicks was up to, and yeah. and from some of his crewmates, because it sounds like they were just as bad as he was. I'm going to guess his crewmates are probably all dead at this yeah, point. Yeah. I can't imagine the life of a pirate's that long. No, it's um, it's short. <laughs> and life was already short back then. Well, it, it it's hard to say because obviously we have the confirmed case that he killed the three people aboard the E.A. Johnson, got caught. Right. Then he says he was a pirate. Then you have P.T. Barnum sensationalizing him. Oh, yeah. Then he writes that confession pamphlet. And it's kind of like, where do, do we believe him? Do we not believe him? I don't really know. But well, uh, he's crazy. he was a bad fucking man. Absolutely. He definitely killed those three people. Yes. So. And think about think about that. Like, the way he murdered him, that's not like a first murder. No. That's, that that's, is some, you've done that before. That's and some then to have shit. To have some, it's like, uh, did you watch the, um, 
Night Stalker thing on Netflix? Not yet. Where he would like just have a, a. of half a melon after killing people. He would just sit in their house and have half a melon. Well, they, that's it's like why, he would just drink beer. That's why they lean on a big, like, all these people are busting in his house, and he's just, like, cool as a cucumber. He's in jail, you know, cool as a cucumber. He's about to be hung, doesn't even care. Make it fast. He's just, like, he's so cold and just doesn't care about anything. Well, this one is one of my favorites, so this will Hell go down yeah. in history for sure. If you all liked it out there, uh, send us a form request, bumblebuttpodcast.com. It'll be a, a lot of fun, like so much fun. And there's other things you can do to help us out, and that is follow us on Twitter and Instagram at bumblebuttpodcast. On Twitter at bumblebuttpod and Instagram at bumblebuttpodcast. Also be a Patreon if you want. You can go to patreon.com slash bumblebuttpodcast. Sign up at any level. We'll get to the new patrons soon. Hell yeah. But first, follow us on Spotify. For God's sakes, hit the follow button. I'm sure all of you do, and that's uh, incredibly nice. I don't really know how Spotify works. But also, be a hero, be a zero, be a gyro. When you leave us a five-star review on iTunes, which we have... Quite a, a few. A, f- a few of them. Yeah, we, we've we got a few to read here. Um, let's start off with Alexander. I'm just going to guess it was Alexander. Um, 1894, good year. Good year. Roll one and kick back from Fontucky. I'm, California, is that a real place? I do not know, but I love it. Roll one. Kick back, boys. <laughs> do you, what, roll what? A cigarette tobacco That's right. joint? A tobacco cigarette. <laughs> What's up, bros? First of, I think first of all, Rip Jordan legend. Hope you resurrect and happy new year. Besides being blown at work while listening to these guys, they bring concrete facts to their storytelling, which really immerses you in the podcast. Excited for all the new lunatics you shed Catholic light on. Move on. Much love and support, Alexander. That Alexander, is, you're the I, best. I love that. Uh, hilarious by Jen 96 just recently started listening to these guys love the stories they cover they do stuff you won't really find on other podcasts yes love the crude humor all the boys are funny but for some reason Cody will get me laughing hard oh pig virgin pig virgin bit on between the bumbles I don't know that bit but I bet it's good virgin yeah dude you were like angry that episode everybody loves the pig virgin Oh, yeah, I do remember that. It was your questionnaire about a pig virgin. I was questioning how they know the pig's a virgin. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I got a little heated. Yeah. (laughs) It was that and the uh, Vietnamese one. Vietnamese, yeah. Vietnamese. Vietnamese there. (laughs) I'm currently listening from the beginning, so I'm not caught up to the present, but looking forward to lots of listening hours. Jen from Tennessee. Thank Thank you you, so much. When you get here, thank you. It's Good by J. Reed Taylor. Listening to these guys reminds me of being back home in Iowa. Keep up the good work, fellas. Thank you so Jay much. Jay Reed, you're uh, a king. Thank obviously, you. I am from Iowa. Yes. I actually have someone messaged us a review that I need to read. That, oh. That we did not get to last week, so oh, let me pull this bad boy up here. It is a little bit message thing since not everybody has the old uh, yeah. Purple Podcast iTunes. We got a few of those here. Uh, this one is written to us from Kylie. Um, hey, Bumble Booties, I'm too drunk to escape 
to create an Apple ID <laughs> for my superior Android right now. Yeah. But I want to let you guys know, I started because you guys did the two-part of Creeper Reels and Meadowville Horror. Hey. As soon as I got like two or three episodes in between the bumbles, I was hooked. All three of you guys bring a personality to the table that makes me feel like I'm shooting the shit with y'all while I'm while I work. I live in Vegas, a place where people visit constantly, even during COVID. So if y'all make it out this way, let me know. I just wanted to start my own podcast until I heard you guys raise the bar higher than I can reach. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> That's what I said. Yeah, get out of here. Start Ad- your podcast for sure. Adam makes me manically cackle at work. <laughs> Cody makes my blood pressure ease up. And Jordan <laughs> gives me hope that sad boy vibes don't last forever. <laughs> when I sober up and make an Apple ID, I'll rate and review the podcast five stars. Keep being the bomb and enjoy the wicked ass podcast y'all created. Hope your day is the best, Kylie. Appreciate it. That Kylie. is a sweet review. Thank yeah. you so much. That shit made me laugh. That's so nice. All right, we have another one here. Uh, this one is from Adam Hackett. I'll tell you this much. Uh, when I saw them at first, I thought for sure this was another <laughs> spam because I could not read it. But here we go. I I, I, I end up reading it. It says, "Hey up, me ducks. Hey up from the UK. Great podcast. I've rinsed it and ended." And ended up to date now. I should probably get me on your Patreon and chuck you some quids. Really decent podcast. Funny, but not insensitive. Good amount of piss taken out of everything. The ye old episodes are great too, as not many podcasts go that far back. Had to message because I just listened to the second part of Bayou Strangler and you guys said, why would you carry a rope in your car? I always have a rope behind my seatbelt, but it ain't for murdering no one. It's just a tow rope. Send in some British smiles your way. Hack it. Hell yeah. I and love we that have, one. We have a uh, a follow-up as well, I believe. Uh, 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 he forgot something. A up me ducks again. Also, check out a sick fuck called Mick Philpot. He's from me hometown. I ain't there these days. And he killed six of his 11 kids trying to commit fraud. Pretty dark. Safos. <sighs> Thank you, Adam. Might be a good case, though. That's um, something to look into. How good is it we have that review after we did a pirate episode? That's pretty good. That's excellent. That's pretty good. I imagine pirates would say, what up, me ducks? There's no question about it. <laughs> they, love- they're floating little duckies. <laughs> Thank you so much. That is a beautiful Thanks, email, Hacker. by the way. All right. Uh, you know what? I think we need to tell about our new Patreons. Do, Let's do you it. You can tell us who their names are. All right, Cody, thank our newest Patreons, if you will. I want to thank Christine, and I want to thank Joe L. Thank you so much for your patronage. I'm hope you, I hope you enjoy all the uh, erotica, and I did mail out all of your stuff. You should be getting it pretty soon. It awesome. seems like the mail is, like, exceptionally fucked up right now. So really? Yes. I've known, There's so many people whose, like, packages are, like, disappearing and shit. Wow. So. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't know what's going on with Scary that. Scary time but... to be alive, especially right. if you're packaged. Thank right. you, Christine and Joe. <laughs> Thank you, everyone else, for listening. Thank you, Cody, for joining me. Thank you, Adam. And I've been Adam. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. No, Adam. you're not supposed to say that. Okay, you know. You already did say that. I just uh, had a small stroke. Uh, all right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, tune in Wednesday for Bianca on Patreon supporters join between the Bumbles. And tune in next Sunday for another brand new episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast. Thank you very much. We'll have a nice weekend, unless it's Tuesday. Give me a booty. Yeah. <laughs>